good morning, Salma Church. It's so good to be with you today and want to let you know that um, our whole church staff is praying for you guys. I think um, when, when Brandon and I had conversation, I just, I love when churches think outside of themselves and think about the fact that there are that the kingdom of God is bigger than the body that you are a part of right now. And so um, this morning, there are people at the creek who are praying for you specifically in your journey with Jesus. So I'm so glad to be here. It's such an honor and a privilege. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny to sit and hold your hands open and know that you have this whole sermon that you have to give and just go, okay, God, whatever you have. So, um, and especially when our text this morning um, begins with... Um, the way that it does. So I want to just introduce you, first of all, to a, um, an interesting interview that Mother Teresa had with Dan Rather on 60 Minutes years and years ago, um, just before she died. And as Dan Rather was interviewing her, he said to her, when you pray to God, what do you say to God? And she said, I don't say anything. I listen. And if you watch the interview, um, after her response, there's an awkward moment where he is a bit thrown off, um, and then he asks her a follow-up question and says, well, okay, well, then when you pray to God, what does he say to you? And she's quiet for a moment, and then she answers, well, he doesn't say anything. <laughs> he listens. And I, you can imagine, you know, I mean, Dan Rather's looking for the key to prayer, I'm sure, like some sort of nugget that he can put on 60 Minutes that will change everyone's prayer life. Um, but she is basically saying we really don't say anything to each other. And she's quiet then, and there's another awkward moment, and she clarifies, and she basically says, well, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you, which I think is really fascinating. And that conversation, that very short conversation, I think is the most beautiful summary of what contemplative prayer really looks like that there is a space that we are invited into in intimacy with God where there are really no words needed. And um, in his book, Armchair Mystic, Mark Thibodeau kind of talks about these four movements that we can move through prayer. And he begins, and if you think about the way that you grow in conversation, um, just even some of you had little kids in here and you know that when when you're first teaching them how to speak, you have to give them words to say. And so they end up talking at people where there's a conversation where you might have to say, say, thank you. Like, we have to say that a lot. And we have to put words on our lips, the lips of our children, that will actually form our hearts. So when we first begin praying, we have to actually talk at God sometimes, where we're taking words from someone else, putting them on our lips, and taking them back to God. And then we move into this space, and if you have um, little children who have found their words, who are very verbal, um, I was kind of one of those kids where I didn't really stop talking sometimes. Um, and you know, it's, you have, or ask, they're asking all the questions, and they're saying all the things, and they're talking to you, but there's never a time where you can even get a word in edgewise, because they're just talking to you the whole time. And then we move to a space where we begin listening to God, where we have a posture of quiet where we want to hear from God, and we're looking for a word from him. We're we're wanting him to speak to us. And then we move into a space of simply being with God. And this is the space of contemplative prayer, this place where we are simply able to be with God. So this morning, what I want to do is take a look at three three, um, different lenses that we want to look at contemplative prayer. We're going to look at the posture that's required for contemplative prayer. 
We're going to look at the problems and the challenges that we face, because trust me, you will face some. Uh, And we're also going to look at the practice. What does it look like if we're going to practice contemplative prayer? So the posture, the problems, and the practice. So let's begin by looking at the type of posture that we need. And to do that, we're going to look at the scripture that we read this morning in Psalm 131. And our text says, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. And what we see as David pens this psalm is that the first kind of posture that we need is a posture of silence and rest. We see in the very beginning that David has calmed himself. In verse, in verse 2, I have stilled and quieted my soul. And this is a posture that is required for contemplative prayer. If we go into contemplative prayer with our mouths open and our minds racing, we're probably not going to be able to simply be with God. Richard Foster says, that, says this about contemplative prayer. He says, contemplative prayer immerses us into the silence of God. How desperately we in the modern world need this wordless baptism. I love this. We, become, we have become, as the early church father Clement of Alexandria says, like old shoes, all worn out except for the tongue. Contemplative prayer is the one discipline that can free us from our addiction to words. Progress in intimacy with God means progress toward silence. Now, I don't know, we had a moment of silence a few minutes ago. For some of you, that might have been very comfortable space. For some of you, it may have been the time when every thought that you have ever had rushes in. A lot of times when silence happens, it's uncomfortable, right? It's awkward. I mean, if, if, there, if I would have come up here and just stood here and said nothing, you probably would have thought, who is this person? And how is she, why has she forgotten her words? She's supposed to have words right now. Um, but sometimes we get to a place where silence is not comfortable. I remember years ago when my husband and I were first mar- married, um, probably like then the first couple of years of our marriage, we had gone to dinner and we were sitting at a restaurant and I looked over and there was this older couple there. And this was like pre, I know this dates me, um, this was like pre everyone always on their cell phones. Okay, so that wasn't even, that wasn't a situation. So I look over and there's this older couple sitting at, at dinner and for probably 15 or 20 minutes, they said nothing to each other. And I started having this like anxiety and fear for them. And I remember looking at Matt going, are we gonna be like that? Like, are we gonna get to this place where we'd have nothing to talk about and we have nothing to say to each other? And I had this great fear. Like, will we run out of things to talk about? And it's interesting because now, after, after really watching some older couples who have been married for decades and decades and decades, what I know is that there is an intimacy that comes in a relationship that has, has lasted over the long haul where words are not needed, where you have reached a point where you can sit together in silence and love is held between you and every everything that has happened in the course of your 60 years is held. And I've watched that in my own grandparents. I've watched that in in my parents as well. And there is a beauty that can happen over time as intimacy grows in a relationship where words are not needed, where we can simply be with one another 
and there's not that fear and anxiety of how do I fill this space because the space is so filled with love already that it needs nothing else. And so this is where, um, where we want to have a posture of silence um, as we enter into being with God and practicing contemplative prayer. The second um, posture that it requires is probably the most difficult one for me. Um, maybe it is for you too, I don't know, but it is a posture of surrender. Now we see in the very beginning of Psalm 131 how David has oriented himself. He's yielded his pride. He's yielded his desire to be in control. He is not arrogant or magnifying himself. He's not concerned, concerning himself with things that are the Lord's to do, his own agenda. He's not concerning himself with the things he wants, but he's coming to God in a posture of surrender. Um, our silence and our stillness before God have to be fueled by this posture of surrender, of releasing control and letting go. And why is this so hard for us? I mean, I, I, mean I, I won't ask you to raise your hand because I'm hoping that everyone in the room would be like, yes, and it wouldn't just be me. Um, but how many of you really have, have a struggle or have a problem releasing or relinquishing control in your life? Anybody? I mean, if we want to be bold enough, we can, just, we can do it. Yeah. Um, we just, we want, we want to be in the driver's seat. We want to make those plans. We want to ensure that the thing is going to happen. And reality is that we are not God, right? We are not the ones who are in control. And so as we come into a posture of being with God, we have to rightly order the relationship and reorient ourselves. And this has been a core issue since the garden, wanting to be in control, wanting to be God. It's what got us into the problem of sin to begin with. Our silence has to be accompanied by surrender. Pete Gregg says this. He says, one of the main differences between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. I love that. I love that. <laughs> moments of stillness at the start of prayer time are moments of surrender in which we stop competing with God. We relinquish our Messiah complexes and resign from trying to save the planet. We stop expecting everyone and everything else to orbit our preferences, and we recenter our priorities on the Lord, and we acknowledge with a sigh of relief, because honestly, that's what it is, is it not? It's a sigh of relief that he is in control and we are not. And slowly, our scattered thoughts start to become more centered. Eugene Peterson says that life's basic decision is rarely, if ever, whether to believe in God or not, but whether we will worship him or compete with him. So as we come into the posture of being with God and practicing contemplative prayer, it is very important for us to surrender control and allow God to be God in that situation. We are not meant to be God, and our hearts and souls so desperately need um, need this cultivated in us. And contemplative prayer allows us to do that. Our hearts, souls, and minds, and bodies cannot bear the weight of holding the world together, can they not? How many of you have ever tried to hold something together and it just fell apart right in front of you? Because you were not meant to do that. Colossians 1.17 says that Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. So he is the one who is built to carry the weight of the world we are not. And so as we come to contemplative prayer, we are able to be with the one who does hold all things together. 
and relinquish and release that control and surrender to him as Lord and Savior. Contemplative prayer also requires a posture of relationship. And I think that this is an interesting, I mean, you're like, of course it does. Well, maybe not. Sometimes if you are wired, um, if you're wired as a doer, like a list checker, then it's very possible that the way you've been thinking about prayer is, has nothing to do with relationship. When in reality, what we're doing every time we're praying is we're entering into relationship with God. There is a person, God, on the other end of every prayer that we pray. So we have to think about the posture of relationship. And we see this displayed in the text as well, where we have this weaned child and its mother, content, a contented child, not needing anything, coming completely surrendered and resting in love. And David Benner describes the practice of contemplative prayer as the dance of being with God. He says prayer in all its forms is nothing more than a response than a response to the living invitation to friendship. I love that. Contemplative prayer is simply offering ourselves in faith and openness to God, spending time in silence with our beloved, who we dare to trust longs to spend time with us. So this level of intimacy, this invitation that God gives us to be with him is an invitation of friendship. It's an invitation to grow in relationship with him. Also notice in the text, I think that, that it's interesting that the relationship that is, that is noted is not a child-to-child relationship or a mother-to-mother relationship. There's not, an e- there's not equality in the relationship. Yet, we're able to come as a child with our parent, God, needing nothing, fully contented, and allow, allowing ourselves to rest in his presence. And that's what's demonstrated in this text as well. Whenever we pray in any way, we must remember that we are engaging in relationship. We cannot pray without God on the other end. And it it is a relationship where control and power belong to God. Yet, he is nurturing and loving us like a good mother with her child. And do you know that the God of the universe, the one who holds it all together, actually longs to spend time with you? Do you really know that? He desires deeper intimacy with you, and he knows you, and he has made a way for you to know him and to be known by him. If you're anything like me, that took years and years and years to know and figure out that I could come to God with empty hands and nothing to offer of myself and still be received. And the God who formed you, the one who created you, who says that you are his, that says that you belong to him, desires your presence. He desires your attention. He desires your affection. He wants to grow a relationship of intimacy with you. And contemplative prayer is one of the ways that we do that. So we need a posture of silence and rest. We need a posture of surrender. And we need to remember that this is a posture of relationship. But none of these are easy. And we'll definitely encounter some challenges along the way. And maybe you're much farther along in your journey with Jesus than I am, and none of this is hard for you. Um, But I'm still learning, and I know that there are problems that I face. Um, I remember when I was when I was younger. Um, I played the piano, and um, when I was in like first learning to play the piano, my mom would always put me on the piano bench like daily. I had a chart that I had to, you know, check off all the things. 
And there was never a time ever when there were more times that I had to get up and use the restroom or get up and do something or I needed a snack than that time that I, was, that I had my rear end on the piano bench. And I remember my mom eventually like setting the timer. She would set the timer and it would still go like every time I got up. And then she got real smart and she just paused the timer every time I would get up. Well, contemplative prayer is kind of like that. Like, if you're just beginning, if this is something you haven't really ever done before, you're going to sit down and everything you've ever thought is going to rush into your mind in the moment that, you try, that you're trying to be silent. Just, just go with it. Allow it and start small. And just know that you will get to a point where you'll eventually be able to play the piano, right? You'll eventually get to a point where you'll be able to sit in silence. It just takes some practice. Um, so we're going to look at some of the problems that we do face, and there's a text that I think shows this specifically in Luke 10, and you might be familiar with it. My hope today is that maybe, even if you are familiar with it, that God will open your mind and show you something new in it today. But we're going to be in Luke 10, 38 through 42, and this is the story of Mary and Martha. Um, so let's take a look at that, and let's listen to what the text says. In verse 38, it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So if you're like me, um, you're probably like, man, I feel like Martha's gotten a bad rap over the years. Like somebody had to do this work, right? Jesus and his disciples are traveling. I'm sure they're tired somewhat. I mean, it's not like they had instant meals that they could just pop in you know, the freezer or they could order a pizza or something. Someone had to feed them. Somebody had to take care of the hospitality. And so like, why is it that, that Martha almost, it feels like she gets a little scolded for doing something here. And the problem isn't in her doing. It's, her problem is the posture she had with her doing. And it's interesting because if you look at the, con- the context here and you see this ministry of hospitality that she could have been offering, and it just kind of went a little sideways. So the problem is that Martha experienced distraction is the first problem. And what's interesting is the Greek word for serving in this passage, latreia, it means service or duties. And it's the same word for ministry. So she's actually offering service. She's offering ministry to Jesus. And she was ministering him, which was not a problem at all. The problem was that she was actually distracted in her serving. And this word, the Greek word that's used in this passage for distracted, where it says in verse 40, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. That word is perispeo, and what it means is to be drawn off from around or drawn away from, to be so overburdened by various distractions as to be worried or anxious. So what, what literally happened was that Martha was distracted and drawn away by doing actual ministry. Any, anybody relate? <laughs> she was serving Jesus and was literally drawn away from him in her serving because she was so distracted by what had to be done that she missed the person and presence of Christ in her midst. And how many times do we do the same thing? 
whether it's ministry or not, that we get so focused on the doing that we forget the person of Christ and the presence of Christ in our midst. So Martha was in the presence of Jesus and was drawn away from him. And her focus was what on, what, on what she had to do instead of who it was she was with. And just like Martha, our focus can be off. We can easily become distracting by the doing, even the doing for God, so much that the being or the being with God becomes difficult. And that makes contemplative prayer, which is being with God, difficult as well. You have to remember that you are not a human doing. You are a human being. And the more that we are focused on our doing, the less, it, the less we are able to actually step into our being. Um, it's interesting, Robert Mulholland talks about two different postures that we can have um, in, his, in his book, um, An Invitation to a Journey. And he says that we can either be in the world for God, where we are going to be going out into the world and doing something for God, which is really, I think, kind of this posture that Martha may have had. I have things to do. Jesus, tell my sister to help me do these things. I'm going to be in the world for God. I'm going to do something for you right now. Versus the posture of being in God for the world. And these are two very different postures to have. That if we are able to be in God and be with God, then God will fuel us and will show us what it is that he has for us to do. But we'll also be able to do it with him and tied to him and from a place of intimacy and from a place of being with God. So distraction can be a part of our problem and just that orientation. Mark Thibodeau talks about this problem, and this is a, this is a lengthy quote, but I think it's worth it. Um, this is what he says. He says, the human condition is such that I spend my life struggling to be my own master and Lord. I cling to the illusion that I am the God of my own life, and I go to any lengths to keep that illusion alive. Deep down inside, I know that my own kingship is inadequate, but I cannot accept that. I spend my life trying to prove to others and to myself that I am worthy to be Lord. I am obsessed with doing, proving, having, showing, moving, winning, owning, and on and on. Anybody else relate or is it just me? He goes on and he says, these actions are my desperate attempts to prove to myself that I am the creator, my products, and the ruler, my control, and am adorable. I love that he puts adorable. <laughs> um, my achievements. Um, because it is a lie. Because I am not any of these things. The proof will never be enough. I must constantly engage in more action, make more products, achieve more goals. And if I could watch myself from a divine perspective, I'm sure that I would look as silly as a dog chasing his tail. So what do I do to stop this craziness? How do I put God at the center of my life? And then he goes on to say that even this, these simple questions reveal the depth and potency of the human condition because the questions themselves are flawed. They assume that there is something I can do to fix the problem. They expose the fact that I am still my own savior. I recognize that there is a problem, but I still insist that I be the prime mover, the one doing the fixing. The truth is that because of the human condition, this human condition that we have of sin in our lives, I do not have the ability to place God at the center of my life. God will have to place himself there. I need to stop doing and allow God to do the doing to me and for me. I don't know, I feel like we need to just take a moment of silence for that one. Um, 
You know, as a recovering perfectionist, as a recovering overachiever, and a, a person who has looked for worth in what I do um, and what I produce and how I perform, this resonates very deeply with me. And maybe you're not a perfectionist, but maybe it comes a different way for you. Maybe you come to the table and you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be enough. Like they're, they're just, I just won't. God will never, it will never be enough. And what I think is profound is that God asks us to just lay all of that down. Lay all of our striving, all of our doing down and simply be with him. And that his love meets us in those places. God has created all that we see and all that we are, and he needs absolutely nothing from us. And so the invitation is to come with nothing to give. And that's really hard for us to wrap our minds around, especially in the American culture, is it not? I mean, we are such a work-to-earn culture. It's very difficult for us to think that there would be someone, somewhere, who would love us in spite of ourselves. But that's exactly what God does. And Martha's not the only person in this passage. So let's learn from Mary how we move from this hurried, distracted state to a place of contentment and stillness before the Lord. And we see in verse 39 just what her posture was. Verse 39 says she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So she had stopped all the doing she recognized that Christ was in her midst, and she just sat still before him, listening to him. And so how do we have that kind of practice of contemplative prayer? The first thing we have to do is we have to stop. We have to stop our doing. We simply have to stop and be still. We have to be silent. Pete Gregg says, to start, we must stop. To move forward, we must pause. This is the first step in a deeper prayer life. Put down your wish list and wait. I love that. Sit quietly. Be still and know that I am God. Become fully present in place and time so that your scattered senses can recenter themselves on God's eternal presence. Stillness and silence prepare your mind and prime your heart to pray from a place of greater peace, faith, and adoration. In fact, these are themselves important forms of prayer. So to start, we actually have to stop. And maybe you're familiar with, um, with this verse that says, be still and know that I am God in Psalm 46. But I think this is an interesting thing because we can get to that place that Mark Thibodeau was talking about where we're like, I need to fix this and I need to put myself at the center here. And I don't know if you've been to like a Hobby Lobby before and you've seen all those, you know, all the Christian like art prints. And this text is always on. It's, all, it's always, you're gonna find it. Like I, I guarantee you, if you don't find it, text me and I will send you $50. I'm telling you. It is there, I promise you. So it is, and usually this is what it looks like. You've got this picture, there's a stream of water, there's a park bench, there's probably a lamppost that's a nod to Narnia. You know, like it's this like, and then it just says on the bottom like, be still and know that I am God. And you're like, if I can just find, where's that park bench? Like, somebody tell me where it is. Are there directions on the back of this that tell me how to get there? And what's really interesting is that th that text 
is taken so out of context so much of the time. And when you zoom out, someone has cropped the rest of the picture of Psalm 46. So when you look at the rest of that picture, this is what it says. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in, anybody know what it says? Trouble. An ever-present help in trouble. Because most of us are thinking, if I can just find the serene place, or if all the things in my life will just settle down and calm down, and I can get there, then I can be with God. Right? Like, this is our thought. Like, if everything else will just quiet down, then I can be with God. And the reality is, is that this verse, verse 10, is in the middle of a whole lot of chaos. Listen to this text. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, so the earth is literally falling away, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, and the earth melts." It's a lot of chaos. You have natural chaos with all of nature falling to bits and pieces, and you've got problems with nations back and forth, and, and literally we're supposed to be still in the midst of that. But there is a refrain, I think, that is often missed because we go straight for this be still and know that I am God place. And the refrain is in verse 7 and verse 11, and it says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the, the person that surrounds you is God himself. In the midst of whatever chaos is happening, there is a place that you can go to be with God and to be still. Pete Gregg says that God understands our deep need for stillness, order, and freedom from ultimate responsibility because he designed us to live humbly, seasonally, and at peace he himself rested and established a Sabbath, inviting each one of us to press pause regularly, saying, be still and know that I am God. The Latin for be still here is vacate. The very word we use to describe vacating a place, uh, a place or taking a vacation. In other words, God is inviting us to take a holiday, to be leisurely or free, because this is the context in which his presence is known. Perhaps we might paraphrase this verse, why don't you take a vacation from being God and let me be God instead for a change? Anybody ready for a vacation? This is the invitation that God gives us in contemplative prayer. It's to take the weight of the world around us, the weight of our words, and to lay them down at the, at the feet of the one who holds it all together. There's this place that can be cultivated that's a bit like an internal monastery, a space that you can go at any moment in time, that regardless of what kind of chaos is happening around you in the world, in your family, in your workplace, with your friends, in your own mind, whatever sort of chaos is happening, that there is a monastery, a place that is set apart for God that can be cultivated inside of you, in your mind and in your heart and in your soul. And that is what contemplative prayer can help build within us, is this internal monastery. So how do we begin? How do we begin with this? I think first and foremost, you begin where you are. So if silence is hard for you, then just start there. 
set a timer and start with two minutes, three minutes, four minutes of silence and just grow that over time. Um, if you're familiar with centering prayer, this is a great start for, um, for contemplative prayer to just be silent and still in the midst of God's presence. Another thing that's been very helpful for me to practice the presence of Christ has been um, having a breath prayer, which is very simply to have a, a prayer that is tied to my breath, where I will breathe in the, a name of God, my breath, personal breath prayer, and some of the, sometimes it just needs to be personal for you. Um, my personal breath prayer, I breathe in the word Abba, and I breathe out, I rest in your love, because that's been a difficult thing for me to do over time. And so that can help, you're, you're, if you're alive, you're breathing. So guess how often it's, it's able, you're able to access it um, all the time. So, and it literally takes as little time as a breath, and it can just reorient us and allow Christ to come in. So breath prayer is a great way to begin as well. Um, sometimes we just need to set boundaries around our technology. Technology is like the enemy of being with God in contemplative prayer. I'm just going to say it. So putting it down, setting some boundaries around it, making sure that it's not what's dominating our time. Um, maybe take a walk by yourself in quiet. If you are maybe the kind of person that gets in the car and you're listening to a podcast or you're listening to an album or you're going to make a phone call or whatever, just maybe use your drive time to be quiet and still. And just breathe a breath prayer. Ask God what he wants to show you for the day and just say, I know you're with me right now. Contemplative prayer is as simple as acknowledging the presence of God. And God wants to be with you. So the second you acknowledge him, he will make his presence known. You can also sprinkle reflective prayer throughout your day. Um, I'm sure you guys have talked about the examine. It's a, that's a wonderful reflective practice where you can actually begin to see where God was present throughout the day. And the more that you're looking for, like if I say to you right now, um, look around the room and find all the red in the room, what are you looking for? You're looking for the red. You start to see the red in the room and who's wearing red and where is there red? And, and then you're maybe even wondering, why did she pick red? There's just, there are things that happen in our minds that actually then cause us to look for those things. If we have been looking for God, then the next day, guess what happens? We start looking for God before we even get there. And so it starts to cultivate in us a way, a posture of looking for God and looking for God's presence. I would say that the, the most important way to begin, though, is to come with empty hands. That you would come with your hands open and empty, with nothing to offer God. Trusting that you don't need anything as you come before him and that he will give you what you need. That's exactly what Mary did. She came with nothing to offer Jesus but her attention. And that's all that he wanted was her attention. A posture of open hands and a gaze set on his face. God cannot put anything in hands that aren't open. open. So as we come to receive, we need our hands to be open. Today I want to invite you into a practice um, that allows us to start in relationship and will hopefully reorient us to the God who invites us to be with him. Remember that growing in contemplative prayer is growing in intimacy with God, and that's built in relationship. And I will tell you that this particular practice um, has been exceptionally important to me personally, so it's a very personal practice as well. 
Um, A.W. Tozer once said in Knowledge of the Holy, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not, at, not what at any given time he may say or do, but what he deep in his heart conceives God to be like. So as we start and we look at this um, this posture of relationship, it's important to know that the person that you are going to be with is a God who loves you, a God who invites you. And this has taken me years to figure out and understand, and I still wrestle and struggle with it sometimes, that I can come with empty hands, and it's okay. Um, This practice is from um, Kurt Thompson, who is a... um, He's a neurotheologian, essentially. Um, But before we do the practice, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, um, there's a Hebrew word, um, hesed, that is a very important word throughout Scripture. And this particular word refers to God's unfailing love for us. And what it does is it combines the idea of unconditional love, generosity, and enduring commitment all together. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. Um, This is how God describes himself um, as a God who loves in this way, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and and sin. He's slow to anger. And his love endures forever. This is a covenantal word that the Lord uses with his people. So as we begin, I want you just to listen to these words from Henry Nouwen's book, Life of the Beloved. He says, we are the beloved. We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us. That's the truth of our lives. That's the truth I want you to claim for yourself. That's the truth spoken by the voice that says, you are my beloved. Listening to that voice with greater inner attentiveness, I hear at my center words that say, I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved on whom my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you with a care more intimate than that of a mother for her child. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I go with you, and wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy all your hunger and drink that will quench all your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own, and I, as I know you as my own. You belong to me. Wherever you are, I will be, and nothing will ever separate us. So Kurt Thompson actually says that if you participate in this regularly, this practice regularly, that it will actually change your neuropathways in your brain, that it will renew your mind. And it's based in the story of Jesus' baptism in Luke 3. And so we're going to use our imaginations today, which is something that's hardwired within us. If that makes you feel a little weird, I just want you to think about the fact that if I say the word sunset... What do you see? Do you see a word printed out or do you see a picture? You probably see a picture. And that's because that's the way God created your mind to work. 
And so we're going to ask God to give us a picture today. Show us what he wants us to see. So if you would, as we begin, if you'll just allow yourself to get comfortable. And if you'll just put your feet on the floor, close your eyes. If you are so inclined, um, you can open your hands, just as we've talked about, just bringing empty hands before God. And I want you just to take a deep breath and allow any distractions in your mind to settle. Maybe even put those in your hands and offer them to the only one who can hold them right now, which is Jesus. And just become aware of your breath. And begin to imagine yourself in a physical environment that is peaceful and calm. Maybe you're beside an ocean on a beach or next to a lake. Maybe you're in a forest surrounded by trees or a meadow with your feet in the grass. Maybe you're surrounded by mountains. Just picture yourself in a place that exudes beauty and tranquility. Some place where you feel safe and at peace. And allow yourself now in your imagination to, be, to take a few moments to become aware of your surroundings. Notice what's around you. Simply take it in. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel around you? Just let that picture envelop you. Now allow yourself to sense God's presence with you. There's no right or wrong way to do this. You may just sense his presence or you might even see him in bodily form. Either is okay. Just allow yourself to sense God's presence with you. Now imagine hearing God clearly say to you directly, calling you by name and saying, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I do so love you. I am so pleased with you, and I am delighted that you are on the earth. Just receive those words from the loving Father. Again, just hear God calling your name and then saying, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I do so love you. I am so pleased with you, and I am delighted that you are on the earth. if you can, God looking directly in your eyes as he says these words. Do not turn away from his gaze. Do not resist his voice. Allow yourself to be in his presence for a moment. Do not leave this place in your mind too quickly. 
Let him look directly in your eyes as he says your name. As he says, you are my daughter. You are my son. And I do so love you. I am so pleased with you. And I am delighted that you are on the earth. Just notice, what do you feel? What do you feel God feeling as he looks with tenderness and strength into your eyes? moments where you are to silently pray in response to what you've experienced with the Lord. Invite him to remind you of his hesed, steadfast, loyal love toward you. This is the God who invites you to be with him.